You are now listening to the Funkaholics Podcast. Welcome to the Funkaholics Podcast, a podcast that loves to take a walk down memory lane when it comes to collecting and talking stories. This is a place where we talk everything and anything in the collector world. Today's episode is part two of season two, Dark Side of the Ring. I've got Sal back here with me, and he is ready to rock and roll. Yes, sir. Let's get it on. Cheers, Cheers, my brother. Cheers. Woo! Guys, we got a great one for you today. I know Sal already gave you guys the hint. He told you that he's been chomping at the bit ready to talk about this one. He gave you a hint in the first... Uh, in the first part of season two that we talked about and I know we received a lot of positive feedback So guys, we are ready to give you guys the biggest and baddest of this of this season I know there's an episode that's gonna be coming up where Sal is ready to uh, Take the brakes off. And, oh, yeah, man. I hit it hard. I'm, I'm re- actually you know what? There's a, at least two episodes this season that I, I was really looking forward to they're all great But yeah, there's definitely two and one especially that I've, I've really been waiting for. But yeah, bro, let's get in. Let's, let's, let's start. Sweet. All right. So on the first one, we left you guys with episodes one through five. And now we're going we're gonna to hit six through ten. First one is the assassination of Dino Bravo. Yeah, so um, this one's kind of crazy. I mean, if you, if you think about it, his story <coughs> kind of goes the way you would think a lot of professional athletes go. As far as, you know, you, you, you're living that high life, you, you know, you're making that money and then your wrestling career ends or your basketball or football career ends. What do you do after that? And this is exactly what happened to Dino Bravo. And unfortunately, it ends with a crazy assassination that we still don't have answers for. 17 bullets the man took. Yeah, dude. Like, it, it's crazy. I, I think it's uh, like seven to the head and the rest of his body. Yep. I mean, yeah, they did not leave. Head and torso. Any- yeah, they did not leave anything for question. Let's put it that right. way. They, they did a job on him, the poor dude. And that tells you, I mean, that's not an accident. No, no. Yeah. And, and it's it's pretty obvious as they go into it. You know, he, he got mixed up with the wrong kind of people. Yeah, it, it, it kind of came back and bit him in the ass. You know what the thing that tripped me out on this, bro, was all about cigarette smuggling. Yeah, who would have known, right? That's... Like, I was scratching the shit out of my head when they said that on the episode. And I was just like, what? Cigarette smuggling? Like, Yeah, it, uh, I mean, I, I'm not a smoker, right? But I understand cigarettes are expensive. I once worked at one of my aunt's uh, convenience store in Chicago. And I remember, you know, your, your, the cigarette pack had to have the little sticker saying that it was taxed from the state and blah, blah, blah. Because the, the way states and counties tax cigarettes, like they do liquor and everything else, it doubles, triples the price. Right. Okay. And so this is what was happening is Dino Bravo was getting cigarettes from the natives, from the Native Americans. And so they were contraband. And so he was getting them and selling them for half of what, would, I guess, normal retail would yeah. be, right? That leads to his other connections, which leads down the road, which leads down the road, which eventually leads to what he gets into. Let, let's start with talking about him. I mean, not everyone knows who Dino Bravo is. Maybe, you know, let's give, let's give a little history on Dino Bravo. Let's get, let's get into it. Uh, for those who don't know, Dino Bravo started in the 70s. He's, he's Canadian, first off. Canadian, started in the 70s. By the early 80s, though, he was huge. He was basically Hulk Hogan of Canada. Yep. And so he wrestled in the international wrestling. Mm -hmm. So not only did he wrestle, but he was like the dude. He was the booker. 
He was like the guy. So he made sure he got himself over. From there, that's when WWF starts getting big, right? Yep. And so Vince is like, hey, he wants to expand into Canada. So for him to make sure he draws, he's like, I need Dino Bravo. So there was this rumor that Dino Bravo was going to fight Hulk Hogan in uh, Montreal. Mm-hmm. This match never happened, though. Bravo got pissed. Well, screw it. If, if Vince isn't going to bring me on and, and they hyped me up and all this stuff, I'm going to go head on with, with WWF, right? He he decides he wants to take him on. Well, obviously, that didn't work. That did not work at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> many have tried and so many have failed. <laughs> right, exactly. In this episode, Jacques Rougeau of the Rougeau Brothers or the Mountie, he, he talks about how he was part of um, international wrestling. Vince poached him, basically. Vince, he says, you know, like, Vince offered him money. He couldn't refuse. Eventually, same thing happened with Dino Bravo. He, he saw, you know, he, he couldn't compete anymore. I think it was Vince offered him a guaranteed 300 grand. And Vince does not. And let's keep in mind, people, you know, for those of you that are wrestling fans, Vince never offered guaranteed contracts. Mm-hmm. It was always a promise, you know, like, come and wrestle for us. Right. And... We can do this for you. We can, we do, can that. do this for you. We can yeah. do that for you. But he actually offered him three hundred grand guaranteed. With I think they told me he could make like a, a million bucks. You know, if you know, depending on the the gates. There was incentives, right? The gates that he drew, merch, all that kind of stuff. There goes Dino Bravo to the WWF. He started making that money, and they even say like his wife's like he didn't know why or she didn't know why, but when he started getting that 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 money, he bought a million dollar home. Million dollar home back in the eighties, bro. That, it's that's Steve. That's Steve. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So. He he was living the lavish lifestyle. So, you know, that went on and on. So what they did, though, is they paired up Dino Bravo with Jimmy Hart. Now, this is the this is the Dino Bravo I remember. Obviously, you know, that same one for me. Yeah, right. So back in about mid 80s, you know, Dino Bravo, Jimmy Hart, all that stuff. And then they made Dino Bravo bleach his hair because he used to have dark hair. And he, then they made him blonde. He hated it. Like his wife was talking about like he hated the look. Like he showed up in the locker room. And the dudes like clowned him for it. <laughs> But that's what they did, right? Yeah. That's that's what the Vince did. He he wants this look, do it. They've changed his look. They had Jimmy Hart, you know. He took on some big matches, but you know, that's when WWF was all about the gimmicks. And they couldn't figure out what to do with the dude. Which is crazy, because that's that's a story that you seem to hear constant, right? Yeah. Like the W if Vince doesn't know what to do with you, you just go away, you know? No yeah. matter Try to find success elsewhere. Yeah, or just... If go, you or, can. Yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of crazy. So, yeah, so then by the late 80s, he kind of, like, became a jobber. One of the biggest things that I always remembered of him, and again, it goes back to, like, WWE or, well, WWF. That's the way I'll, I'll always remember it. But them not knowing what to do with the guy, I always remember him being in, you know, these strongman-type contests. Like, oh, he was a big dude. He was the one that was known yeah. for, you know, kind of like Mark Henry. You know, we remember Mark right. Henry being the world's strongest man. Well, this was a dude that could bench 500 pounds, and it was recorded. We had the battles between him and the Ultimate Warrior. I can't remember if he really did anything with Hercules, because I know Hercules was big at that time. Maybe. I... I mean, it's it's weird. Like, my memories of him are so little. Like, I remember him getting a push, and then all of a sudden him just getting beat by everybody. Yeah. He was just, like, the dude who was, like, the heel that everyone would beat up on. He was uh, the one biggest thing because I was a big Brutus the Barber Beefcake fan. Right. Well, I remember he started out with the dream team of Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. But Beefcake got pushed out of the, you know, clique or, you yeah. know, whatever it was that they had going on or dream team. And then Dino Bravo took on from there. And then 
I think later down the road they like paired him up with Earthquake and Jimmy the managing them. But like you said, it it's it was like he was hot for a quick second and then yeah. he disappeared and then he came back in. But everything that they were doing with him never worked. Yeah, and they're talking about how like they just couldn't find how to use him. They couldn't find a gimmick for him. And then he he talked with a really heavy Canadian accent. Yeah, he couldn't get over it because a lot of people just couldn't understand him. And so I I think it's uh they uh, by not in 1992 he's gone. So I mean he had six years I think six Something years like with WWF like barely any time. Yeah. So he's he started in the 70s. Basically he had 22 years of a, a career. And the 70s were the greatest to him. He hit his peak. Well yeah. Well and then in the early 80s when he was his own boss he yeah. was getting himself over right. He made he made a shit ton of money coming to the WWE. Like I said, he, he he's starting to live a lavish lifestyle. But by '92, he's done. It leaves him with what does he do now? Smuggle cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. I, well, the crazy thing is he's tied to the mob. I didn't I, see that coming when they said that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. Because, you know, like we've talked about before, you see a wrestler and you know all, you know all of his stuff in the ring, but you don't know jack about his outside life, yeah. right? Apparently... And back it, then, this was kayfabe era. Oh, yeah, super kayfabe, yeah. And these guys were always in character. Right. So, I mean, you, you didn't know anything, right? His uncle, who was also an ex-wrestler, let me see if I get the name right, uh, Vic... Vic Catroni, he was like the head of the Montreal mob. They brought Dino in. Big dude, right? What do you do with a big dude? And you're in the mob. You got him as an enforcer. Yep. You know, he's he was he's a, the muscle. He's the muscle, the collector, all that kind of stuff, you know? Here's this guy, huge dude. He was fearless. They're talking about how, like, he had a really short fuse that, like, if someone pulled a gun on him, he'd be like, you better be ready to use it because if not, you're about to get your ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> So he did that. So he became basically a, a, a mob enforcer. And, and yeah, like I said, he, he was just this big tough guy. And it's funny, Rougeau tells a story about how, because he's from Montreal, you know, Canada's big in hockey. If you're a Canadians fan, you hate the Quebec Nordiques. Yeah. And so they're talking about how they're in a bar one time. Rougeau, Rougeau uh, Jacques Rougeau's like drunk off his ass. And sees a, I guess they recognize a Nordiques player and is like, Nordiques suck, blah, 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 whatever, right? And so the dude comes to uh, confront him. Dino Bravo steps in, whoops his dude's ass, <laughs> and like literally takes him outside the bar, throws him into the car. Yeah, that's just the kind of guy Dino Bravo was. Yeah. Or, I mean, hot-tempered, short fuse, big dude you didn't want to mess with. Yeah. So he's and part- I, kind of, I kind of remember his character kind of being like that. Yeah, he, he was kind in of... In the WWF. Like an agitator. Yeah, he was know. a hothead. You couldn't yeah. say anything to him. <laughs> he, he, that was his role in the mob, and he kind of kayfabe. He did it outside of the ring too, right? Yep, like he, exactly, he was that guy. It kind of jumps, you know. It, it kind of the episode kind of gives you an idea of okay. So here, you know, his wrestling career it's over. He's joined the mob, blah blah blah. Next, you know, they're telling you March tenth, nineteen ninety three. His his wife comes home with his six year old daughter. At you know late night, they find him sitting in his living room in his recliner, assassinated. No force break in. The door's unlocked. What the hell? This dude, like you said, I think it's a, a 11, 17 bullets in him. Whatever. Yeah, seventeen some, some bullets. Some huge number. Yeah. Seventeen bullets is what they confirmed. It's crazy, and no one knows. There's like nothing, nothing. Right? They talk about how the only person he's ever talked about his mob dealings with is rick martell yes uh dark side of the ring tried to get a hold of rick martell and he just you know i don't want to touch that yeah he basically he, he didn't he didn't respond to their request there's an interview they show an interview that martell did years ago where martell breaks it down he's like yeah you know he got in with the uh these native americans the whole cigarette thing like like we said earlier like who the hell knew there was money in cigarettes right yeah apparently one of the big coke dealers in montreal wanted to get in on the cigarette trade they're like well hell i'm making money on coke but hey if i can make a little on the side with cigarettes let's get in on let's it let's do it he got in with dino 
So Dino was his supplier for the cigarettes, and they were going to do, like, a swap, like, supposedly. Right? I mean, we're just speculating here. Yeah, it's all speculation. I mean, this is, <laughs> this, this is what Rick Martel states, uh, that there was a warehouse where there was the cigarettes, and they were going to coke, blah, 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 blah. So the story goes, the warehouse gets raided, so now the, the coke dealer's out like 50 grand or something like that because i know they say yeah so rick martell or i mean i'm sorry uh dino bravo basically got killed for 50 grand and some cigarettes you know what's a trip did you catch i can't remember who it was on there that was saying they said that prior to him dying he told somebody like the end is coming like i know my I'm, i know my days are coming well yeah and, and they even talk about um like he already knew the heat was on him oh yeah he, he knew something was not right and, and he called jacques rougeau and jacques rougeau's on there and he said yeah he called me he told me, he goes, I need to talk to you. And Rougeau's like, how about tomorrow? I'll meet up with you tomorrow. That as Rougeau was driving to meet up with him, he stopped to get gas. And the guy in the gas station was like, did you hear? Dino Bravo got killed. So he was literally driving to go talk to him. So yeah, he knew something was yeah. up. The crazy thing is, is no one really knows if that's the reason. Yeah. Like they talked, you know, they have all these different people talking and they're like, okay, so was it the natives that killed him? Because something went bad on their side. They're talking about biker gangs. Because something, was he dealing with biker gangs? Because I guess even though it looked like a professional hit it was done sloppy so they don't think it's a mob hit because of the way it was done okay so was it natives the mafia biker gangs or this coke dealer yeah and nobody knows <laughs> to this day nobody knows and it Crazy. all goes back to like what we were talking about in the first part of the season is just why is it when it comes to a wrestler's death the ball gets dropped somewhere yes yeah, or crazy. it gets swept under the rug well then the other crazy thing is is that they talk about how so the neighborhood he lived in was kind of like a mob neighborhood right yeah it's, it's all these big homes million million dollar homes the same week he got killed there was multiple mafia hit in the same neighborhood so the, so it wasn't like just him randomly like yeah. some shit went down loose ends got taken care of but yet to this day there's no there's there's it's still a mystery yeah there's no confirmation well i mean you know obviously they know how he died but they just don't know who no one's been held responsible. Yeah, who was it? And it's funny, they're talking about how they were trying to get the Montreal police on there to give their statement on what happened, and they refused because it's still an open case. Yeah. So here we are, what is this, 92, uh, 2020. <laughs> so that 28 years later, right? Yeah, 28 yeah, years 20. later. 30, yeah, 28. Almost 30 years later. What a trip. You know, and... All of a story, though. Oh, yeah, dude. And they're talking with the wife, and they're talking with the daughter, and, and it's sad because the daughter's like, man, hopefully the person who, who did this got their comeuppance. You know what's a trip is when this season got released, I know that the, the producer, Evan Husney, and the director, Jason Eisner, and if I butchered your name, guys, I apologize if you ever hear this. I know that they were reporting in a lot of the podcasts that there was a lot of undercover meetings that they would do with these people the moment that they would start bringing out, you know, hey, you know, we're looking into talking about the story or doing a documentary blah 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 well a lot of people would only talk to them undercover out right. of fear of retaliation right the evan was the one that was saying like you know i was meeting in coffee shops i was meeting in right you know, all these locations where you know they wouldn't expect for somebody to see them talking to me or something like that so you know it it, it adds more to the story it kind of tells you like you know how like how we we're saying you know it, it's still an open case nothing's been resolved we're talking about mafia mafia ties a lot going on but i mean it just gives that much more 
to the story. Like, it just makes it that more, much more rich. And and that's why it's exactly on Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. Because, I mean, if it was an open and shut case that everyone knew all the facts to, it wouldn't make for... I mean, it still would make a good episode, but the way it, it's still open and that we don't know, that's exactly what makes it perfect for the series. Definitely. I think we covered enough on that one. I think that gives a lot of people opportunity to go back in and watch. I mean... Even, guys, if you've watched it already, go back and watch it a second time. Oh, I know yeah. you told me earlier, like, dude, I I watched it again, and I can't believe how many things that I forgot from there. Oh, or yeah. the, the new things that I caught that yeah. I wasn't paying attention to at the Definitely. time. Definitely. I went, I went back and rewatched it, especially since we are going to do the review. Yeah, there, there's little details that, that I missed the first time around. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, that's that's crazy. And, you know, I but guys, I gave you, like, by no means did I ruin this episode for you. Not at all. Like, I gave you some bullet points. Go back. Definitely watch it. You know, we gave a quick five, ten minute review. It's an hour long episode. Yeah. There's there's a lot more to it. There's, there's, there's a lot there's, more in it. Yeah, there's a lot more out. meat on that on those bones. Yeah. yeah definitely. Sure. That takes us into episode six. Uh or no, I'm sorry, seven. David Schultz and the slap heard around the world. Yes, sir. <laughs> this one was awesome. I'll be completely honest. I I heard of David Schultz, knew nothing about him. So everything that I heard was just stories. And that was from super diehard wrestling fans and stuff from, you know, people that were around this time. Had no idea, you know, it's one thing to hear a story, but then to actually see you know facts and everything being broken down about it everything falls into place like you you totally understand the title of the episode now yeah um so same uh so Dave, uh david schultz dr d yeah he was before my time because really he's out of wrestling as i was getting into it yeah because he, he's pretty much out by the first wrestlemania just yeah it's the first one right with mr t yep yeah, and he was like one of your first true heels and the, and that's and that's kind of that was his role. Same thing. Uh, David Schultz is a wrestler from the seventies. Just this big, tough dude, right? <laughs> and you know what? Not to cut you off, but you know how we keep kicking around the word kayfabe. Dude is ultimate yeah. kayfabe. Kayfabe is <laughs> literally what got this guy fired and ended his career. <laughs> yep. And and, and I, we keep using the word kayfabe. So kayfabe is basically I don't know where this came word came from, but basically it's the wrestling term that came up with where like the heels don't mingle with the baby faces. So if I wrestled Nando today, we wouldn't be hanging out at, at Chili's afterwards. Exactly. Like you lived the ring life outside of the you, ring. You absolutely believe that we hate each other. <laughs> basically, you never broke character. Yeah, you never broke character. That's what basically what kayfabe comes up to. So. Because we did that term, I guess we should clear it up since we've been using that term, and it yeah. will probably come up again in this episode more than any other. But um, yeah, so he he was started in the seventies. He was trained under Henry Henry Welch or Herb Welch. Sorry. Herb Welch. Herb Welch. Basically, Herb Welch was like the last of the OG wrestlers. David Your NWA Sh- Mid America. Yeah, so like uh, David Schultz went to go train with him, and they're like they're taught like he was a hard ass. Like he would like beat their asses, and like something he would do is. He would literally go and take shit and put it under his armpit <laughs> and and give these guys headlocks. <laughs> Unknowingly, they would have their face in like an armpit full of shit. Like that's this guy was just that big of a jerk. And it just tells you like, I mean, when when you're watching the episode, you're sitting. I, I know for me, I was sitting thinking, I'm like, this dude is fucking three quarters short of a fucking dollar. Like, right. you know, you. But it was the way he was trained. It was the way he was trained. I mean, like, this guy, Herb Welch, like, he trained him believing it was real. Like, he told him, like, you you live and die your character. You throw a fucking punch. 
You know what I mean? And so David Schultz thought it was real. Like he yeah. he lived. He his, was living in it. Yeah, he lived his character. <laughs> so anyway, he goes, he wrestles, and he meets Hulk Hogan. He meets Hogan in the seventies, before Hogan became Hulk Hogan, basically, right? That back when he was just Terry Bollea or whatever his his wrestling name Terry was. Terry Yeah, you know, him and Hogan had great matches because he was the heel to Hogan's perfect babyface, right? Like they they just had a chemistry together, whatever. So when Vince found Hogan, Hogan told Vince, hey, I've got this guy. He's my perfect heel. We're, we can make some freaking money. Yeah. Like, we can draw some people. Like, this guy's perfect. So that that's how David Schultz got brought into the WWF. They talk about when David Schultz first got brought into the WWF, how he would cut, you know, the promos, the, the vignettes. Were like, these crazy promos were like, he was shooting off guns. He was like, they wouldn't show him, but basically he was like verbally abusing his kids and <laughs> <Yeah>. wife. <laughs> that part was hilarious, man, because he's like, I don't even know who the kid was, but I went off. <laughs> yeah, like, like they weren't his family, yeah. <laughs> but he was like legit abusing yeah. them because that was his heel character. Yep. But it was so real. You believed it. Like, Not it only was... the people, the cops went to Vince to serve a warrant for Schultz. Yeah. Because so many people called the cops like, are you seeing this? Yeah. You need to have this checked out. You need to (laughs) save this kid from this situation. And so, like, legit, the cops had a warrant for this guy's arrest. And so they went to the house, and I was like, there is no house. That house doesn't exist. It's a stage. Yeah. Those aren't my guns. These aren't my family. And, like, he had to explain all that away. So it's crazy, right? <laughs> so that that's basically setting up David Schultz as a heel, right? They 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 spend the beginning of the episode establishing his heel, how he was legit living that life. And so then they introduce John Stossel, which people may recognize the name. He's still around. He's a reporter, investigative reporter for 2020. When I saw that dude, he remind, reminded me of that Geraldo Rivera Geraldo, Geraldo fucker. Rivera, yeah. I mean, they almost look like brothers. Yeah, same kind of look. But, yeah. I mean, John Stossel is still around now. Yeah. He still does investigative reporting, I think, still for Channel 7. I, yeah, you're right. Um, For ABC. So here, John Stossel, he was like an ex... Like, you know, he was a reporter, but he wrestled in high school, right? That's yeah. what he says. And that it always bugged him that people actually thought pro wrestling was real. real. It, it just bugged him, and so he decided, I'm going to do an expose on... I want to break the story. I want to get all the secrets out. Right. Because I guess uh, they went and did a, a survey, and it said that one-third of the people who would go to live events actually believed it was real. That, yeah, like, no, these guys are beating them each other up. They really hate each other, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So he, he decides he he wants to do an expose on it. They're, this is going to be the first time, I think they said since the 30s, that anyone had tried to do an ex- expose on pro wrestling. And they said back in the 30s, someone had done a newspaper article on it, you know, talking about how, you know, it's scripted, blah, 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 whatever. That one article almost killed pro wrestling back in the 30s. And so when this dude started snooping around, you know, they're like, you know, they were afraid for, for pro wrestling. In comes Eddie Mansfield. I have no clue who this dude is. Didn't know either. Never heard of this guy. I don't know. I guess he was like some mid-card jobber. And his whole thing is like, he's going to expose pro wrestling to help the wrestlers. Like, well, I'm going to help them get health care and I'm going to help them get better pay. And so I, apparently whatever federation he was uh, wrestling in, I guess the booker would like shave off 20%. Like, hey, you want me to keep booking you matches? You got to, you know, pay the ferryman, right? Yep. And this dude wasn't about it. He was like, nope. I, I'm not I'm not paying you that 20%. Well, he stopped getting booked. And so once he stopped getting booked, he was like, F it. 
I'm exposing pro wrestling. Yeah. And in all honesty, the, the, the image that I got behind that whole thing was this was the dude that was stoking the fire for John Stossel. He right. Was, he was giving John Stossel more heat that he wanted. And, well, he, I mean, he, he, you know, they were kind of, they were clicked up. Well, yeah, eventually, yeah. It sounded like he had this idea from the start, and John Stossel was basically the vessel to do it. Mm-hmm. So when he heard John Stossel... Was he was too afraid to say, and John... Well, basically, John John Stossel was the voice for him. Right. He, he gave him the, the avenue to, to, to sound off, right? Yeah. And so... Because they even say, like, they never met each other until the day they did the news report. Mm-hmm. And so in the news report, you know, he shows them how to, like, fake the punches and, you know, do all the moves and without hurting each other. And, and so, you know, Stossel's eating it up. And then the big thing, the big thing that they really concentrated on, the blade. Yeah. And he, the guy, the Mansfield even says, he goes, for some reason, they kept asking about the blade. They kept asking about the blade. And so, you know, he shows... How they take a razor blade and either hide it in their mouth, their trunks, and their tape. And, like, he legit, in the interview, they show where he, like, slices his head. And the guy, like, Stossel's, like, kind of freaked out. And he's like, you just cut yourself, whatever, right? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, if I was sweating, it'd be, you know. It would be even more. Yeah. And he broke kayfabe. Like, he he broke all the rules. He, yep. He's giving away all the secrets. Now, granted, he does this, but it's not released yet, right? So Mans- right. Mansfield does all this stuff. 2020 hasn't released it yet. So Stossel decides he's got to be fair and give WWF a chance to respond. So he gets a hold of Vince and is like, hey, pro wrestling's fake. I want your take. And Vince is like, cool. Come down to the Madison Square Garden and, and ask my dudes. Yeah. <laughs> You, you, you want answers? Come ask the wrestlers yourself. And so Stossel goes down to the Madison Square Garden, and I think he said he talked to Iron Sheik, then he talks to Dr. D. David Schultz. The wrong person. The wrong dude to ask, because this dude is living the life. This dude is living his gimmick. He is the ultimate heel. And so he asks him, is wrestling fake? And then... Bam! Bam! <laughs> Schultz lays him out. Yep with a right slap. And Stossel is stupid enough to stand back up and then gets spammed from the left side. (laughs) And then you see the dude, and all this is on video. So, I mean, you see it happen in the episode. And then he crawls his happy ass away. Yep. Right? Because he doesn't want to get his ass kicked. Dr. D thinks he did the right thing, right? He's in character. Yeah. Because he even says, he goes, Dr. D, if someone asked him if it was fake, he'd slap his ass. So he did. Yeah, exactly. He was in character. He did exactly what he thought Vince would want him to do. And so uh, they say, you know, Dr. D goes out, wrestles his match that night. And I guess as he's coming out of the ring and after the match, you know, Vince stops him and is like, get out of here. Don't even go to the back and change. Just get the hell out of here. And... Schultz is like, why? What's up? And they're like, uh, we think Stossel's gonna, you know, uh, uh, charge you with something. File charges. You know, just just get out. From there, uh, Stossel actually does put a lawsuit against, I don't know if it was against Schultz or just the, probably the WWF, I'm, I'm assuming. He's gonna, yeah, it was, it was after WWF because he was gonna go after... Vince, because Vince yeah. is the money, right? You yeah. Know, no point in going after Schultz. There's no yeah. money there. I mean, you know, what would he get out of Schultz? Maybe Schultz does, you know, some days in, in, in jail and... You know, right? Maybe a little some some fines, but right. You know. it's, about, it's about punitive damages. And it's not. It's not about criminal. Exactly, and and just looking at Stossel's character, even the way when he's interviewed in the in the episode, I mean, you can tell the dude's arrogant, and he's got like you know, he, he you could just read it by his expressions as he's oh, talking, dude. Like they even tell him like because he talks about how uh, he had a baby girl and oh. It, it, because his ears were ringing, he couldn't take care of his little girl. Yeah, he it. came out like, with dude, all like, kinds of bullshit. But and then they they even said like he says, "Well, the moment I got my settlement, 
the pain went away. Yeah. <laughs> Mother, come right. on, bro. Like, you legit. Just... He could have been a character for WWF, yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, what a weaselly thing to yep. say. Yep. Yeah, no, it's. But yeah, so, um, so you know, Stossel's got the thing. and You talk about the perfect storms. That's definitely a great example of that. Right. Because you got this asshole reporter that, oh, yeah, he was looking for that wants a story. Yeah. And then you've got this absolute kayfabe true heel in WWF. They collided. Like you said, yeah, he, got what, he, got, he got what he wanted. And I mean, to the point to where um, Vince sends uh, Dr. D to Japan, you know, because he's got so much heat. Yeah. He said he sent him to Japan. And Dr. D says when he gets to Japan, the promoters in Japan <laughs> want him to, do want, the want him to slap a reporter. <laughs> And so he goes and says, all right, cool, but you've got to put it in the contract in writing saying this is a, you know, this is a script. This is a gimmick. Like, this is I'll, an act. Yeah. Like, I'll hit the dude, but I don't want charges coming against me because, you know, we agree. This is, yeah. You know, this is an act. So he says, he, you know, the guy comes, he slaps the guy, whatever. Next day, front page news, <laughs> David <laughs> Schultz is, is, is slapping reporters in Japan now. And poor dude, like, just, I mean, you can tell it. He's just trying to be a good wrestler and do his job and, and portray his character. He's just getting burned at, at, yeah. every, at every corner, bro. And the sad thing about it, I mean, for him being so dedicated, he's almost like Gun, bro. If you think about it, yeah, he's looking for this opportunity, and then he does something, boom, you're gone. We yeah. got to make you disappear. Because, I mean, his career was short-lived after that. He right, did. so... He did Japan in Canada, and then well, they brought him back. So they they bring him back. So this is when WrestleMania won. Oh, that's when they were trying to do the hype with him and Mr. T, right? Right. Well, no, not him with Mr. T, Hogan and Mr. T. That's right. Because he even talks about how you know he's in all this trouble because he slapped um, Stossel, but Hogan and Mr. T are promoting. Their match for WrestleMania 1, and I can't remember, but they went on some talk show. Hogan legit chokes out the host. Like, because, you know, the same thing, right? Guy's like, hey, Hogan, show me a move. So Hogan puts him in a, in a headlock and chokes the dude yeah, out. Legit goes limp <laughs> and hits his head on the floor. And But nothing ever came of it, nothing. right? They probably paid the, the host out some money and nothing ever came yeah. of it. So anyway, David Schultz is sitting there going like, wait a second, here's WrestleMania 1, the biggest thing going on. What the hell is Mr. T there for? That that should be me. That should have been my... You know, that's that's my spot. And so um, he goes to L.A. And it's just a house show. But Mr. T is there. And his side of the story is he's in the back room talking to Mr. T. Talking civilly. You know, hey, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He goes out to the ring to see a friend. Next thing you know, security are... Because... Are, uh, I can't remember. Did he say Wahoo? Maybe or some I can't remember somebody who was like over everything. Tell security, uh, you know, Schultz is next to Mr. T. They they literally uh, hog tie him and throw him out of the stadium. That's right. That's right. I'm, it, out of it's the coming back to me now. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and he's gone. He's yeah. gone from the WWF. He goes and tries to uh, wrestle in the Indies, but basically Vince is telling people, you know, blackballing this guy, and that, that and that was it. That was it. That was the end of his career. So I mean. The guy started in the 70s. He figured he was in the WWF early 80s. He probably lasted three years. Maybe four, four or five years. It wasn't not very long. long. No, not long at all. And he's gone. Yeah, it's crazy. This dude who was the ultimate kayfabe wrestler went away. Yeah, and, and so um, he he gets he gets t told to leave. And, but he's saying he never did anything. But then they have an interview with Hogan. And Hogan's saying, oh, no, he slapped Mr. T. That's why he got taken away. And so... I found that interesting. You know what I mean? And so now, um, 
Schultz and Hogan, after being boys, don't talk. And he yeah. said he, he hasn't even talked to him since that day, after they were so close. And um, what's crazy is that after that is when Vince... So it, it's this weird uh, thing where the WWF was considered a sporting event, okay? So when they would go into these uh, states, they had to be um, licensed by the state. The state sports board, right? Kind of like UFC, yeah, like everything, right? Got to be sanctioned. You got to be sanctioned. So Vince figured out if he started calling himself an entertainment sports entertainment, he no longer had to be sanctioned. He no longer had to pay those fees. He bypasses all that bullshit. All the fees, all the taxes. That's more money in his pocket. Yeah, evil genius. (laughs) So literally, like he shit on kayfabe, because now he's calling it sports entertainment and not pro wrestling. So Vince. It's like, no, yeah, fuck kayfabe, you know, like, this is all fake. Like, yeah. he, he legit just says, this is fake. This is entertainment. There's nothing real about this. We're going to open up the avenues, and I'm going to go after that mighty dollar. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, it, it literally, David Schultz is, his life is gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's done. Because now, the wrestling he was trained to do doesn't even exist. And this dude was diehard, man. This oh, yeah. was a This was a guy that you... He eat shit and breathe kayfabe, or he would die for the fucking sport if he had to. It it it's uh it's sad, and then and then the worst thing about it, he ends up turning into Dog the Bounty Hunter. That's his second career. Yeah, so it's crazy. So so from there, he becomes a bounty hunter. Yeah, and literally has like uh um a reality show like like he becomes Dog the Bounty Hunter. Yeah, and and he he lives out the rest of well he's still alive. Yeah, and so that's, it's all stories and stuff like that for him afterwards you know another wrestler that just gets that just disappears so that uh that one guys you 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 absolutely have to watch that was that was a great one that i had no idea about that we took away we're gonna move into episode eight which is cocaine and cowboy boots and on this one um we're gonna run through it real quick we're we're not gonna cover a lot of time on this one it's about herb abrams and his challenge to the the almighty himself vince mcmahon um this dude he had the opportunity for something great for a great gimmick um but addiction got the best of him well okay so uh the episode about herb abrams and the uwf so when i heard first heard about the uwf i thought it was the uwf i knew wasn't no so the uwf i knew is the one from the 80s where i mean i remember sting being the uwf um I think it was like Chris Adams, Terry Taylor, yes, um, Eddie Gilbert, those guys. This is not that UWF. <laughs> Let me make that very clear. That is not that UWF. This is the UWF that was formed in the 90s, and it's a guy called Herb Abram. He, okay, so it's weird because he just, he was a mark. Like, he was a wrestling fan. True mark, yeah. Yeah, like, he was... <laughs> He was just a big mark. He decided he wanted to have a wrestling. So he went to a wrestling convention and was like, hey, I want to announce I'm I'm, I'm opening up a, a, a league. Yeah. And the guy's like, who the F are you? What makes you seem legit? And so he goes, well, I've got Bruno San Martino. Well, when you throw around a name like Bruno San Martino, that makes you legit. Right? Yeah, you grab attention. Right. So the guy got a hold of Bruno and was like, hey, is it true? You have something to do with this, this league? And Bruno's like, yeah. 
So the guy's like, cool, legit, I'll bring you in. So Herb Abrams goes to this wrestling convention. They said, I think it was, I can't remember if they, uh, Danny Spivey and somebody, like B. B Brian Blair or, or somebody, right? They, they, that was their, like, their thing, and they started, like, going at each other, and instead of being professional, like, it legit broke into a shit show. Yeah. But, like, it was to the point to where he said he was going to have Bruiser Brody. Bruiser Brody was already dead. <laughs> yup. But he said Bruiser Brody was going to be in his league. But they were talking about, like, he sold it so good, people were like, oh, okay, well, he must be really getting him. The dude was dead, and he was like, oh, yeah, he's going to be one of my wrestlers. Yeah. Like, it, Maybe he really was a dead. Like, it's crazy, <laughs> dude. Dude, in a, in a crazy way, Herb Abrams and New Jack would have been perfect for each other. Can you, <laughs> can oh, you imagine God. the shit they would have done together? That's, like, the promoter that New Jack needed. But this guy was just throwing stupid money at him, so they're like... Fuck yeah, like I'll I'll go. But apparently this guy owned clothing like that that's how he made his money was he made clothing for big girls. Yep. And like he got this guy named Lenny du- Duge, I think his name was Doug, and he used to work for NBC and so he put him in the GM spot. Cause he was like a, a he was like an NBC post production guy. He's like, You're gonna be my GM, you know, you do all this, I'm gonna be the money guy. There was some interesting controversy with that, too, because remember when they started doing their taping, WWF sent cease and desist right. to them because uh, Honky Tonk Man and Ravishing Rick Rube were... Right. So, yeah, so th- these guys started October 1990. Like you said, it was kind of controversial because th- this guy didn't, like, give a shit. He, he didn't play by the rules. No, he didn't play by the rules at all. He had money, and it was like, hey, I want you to come wrestle for me. Money. Mm-hmm. And You he- almost kind of get an Eric Bischoff feeling here. <laughs> Well, it's but yeah and no because this guy gave the wrestlers complete creative freedom. So where in everything in WWF was so scripted and and so structured, this guy was like, "Do what you want, yeah, just make it good." You know what I mean? Like I believe in you. You you're a fucking professional wrestler. I'm I'm your fan. Here's money. Come wrestle for me. Put on yeah. a good show. I'm not gonna give you any type of direction or anything yeah. like that. I'm I'm a mark, and yeah, here we go. They let him. He let him do whatever he wanted. Yeah. So. He lets him do that, and then he, he, he basically, once he got going, he reaches out to Vince and is like, because this guy's based out of California, right? And so he's like, hey, Vince, what if I do the West Coast and you do the East Coast? And Vince just la- laughs at him. <laughs> Vince is like... That, like I you're, cannot you're a, stop laughing when, like, I, when I yeah, hear that part. Like, you're a fly in my ass. Yeah. Like, you know, like, get away. Yeah. You're no one. Like, Dude, who am you're I? a mosquito. Yeah, I'll like, fucking slap you and you're gone. Like, you're nobody. <laughs> who are you coming over here trying to negotiate with me? That just tells you how Looney Tunes this dude was. Like, you oh, know, dude, the planet yeah. that he lived on. He didn't live on Earth. Yeah, no, totally. And this dude just partied, right? Like, yep. consistently throughout the episode, they talk about how, like, the dude was on coke and he had hookers. Yeah. And how, like, they would bring in talent. And, like, this one guy was talking about how they brought him in from somewhere down south to L.A. And, and he was in, like, this beautiful suite in Beverly Hills. And the dude showed up with two, like, super high-quality hookers, a shit ton of coke. This Herb Abrams and these girls went to town while the dude just sat there and watched them do whatever to yeah. each other, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this guy is a character. Yeah. Without a doubt, this guy is a character. I mean, to the point to where once Vince refused his offer, they showed the UWF belt. And so when you folded it over, because it, it had the you know the main part, and then on the sides it said UWF and UWF. But when you folded it over, it said FU yeah. on each side. And they said that he would purposely hold it up, like saying an FU to Vince. Yep. And I mean, it's like, who that thinks was, of that? Yeah, that was that was actually a really cool part of the of the episode. You know what I mean? I was like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> 
this dude to go after Vince signs Andre the Giant. That's Vince's boy, right? That's you don't manage. I mean, granted, by then in the nineties, Andre wasn't Andre anymore, but it's still a name. Yeah, it's a huge name. That's a huge name. Right. That will bring in crowds, irregardless of right. yeah. for the, you know for the true wrestling. Fan. I mean. Andre the Giant, though, he was, like, even if you didn't know anything about him, you were just to look at him, you're like, I got to see what this is all about. Right. You know? He brings in Andre, they announce him, this big deal. What happens? Vince gets wind of it, throws Andre more money, Andre stops showing up, and next you know, boom, he's on WWF. Yep. You can't play with the big dog, bro. You can't. Like, Vince is going to, like, squash you. Especially when, like we said, we go back to being a mark. When you're partying and you're doing the things that you're doing and then you have the money, the money isn't going to be around that long if you're just throwing it away. Was Vince doing anything like that? Absolutely not. He was making money. Yeah, I I doubt Vince had hookers and coke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, just for this, dude, uh, this made an interesting story just to see the type of people that tried going at Vince. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of the ones that Vince just knocked down. This episode, you know, it, like I said, you know, I, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. It was it was a really good one. You guys got to watch it for yourselves because the one that we're leading into, because this was like the warm up. This was just a small taste of what we were waiting for. And you oh, know yeah. where, and you know where I'm going, Sal. We're going oh, into yeah. episode nine, bro. Oh, yeah. What are we talking about here? Give it to me, man. It's time for <laughs> the Road Warriors. Episode nine. Oh, what a rush. This one was an absolute great story. I know both you and I were going back and forth and we're like, dude, it's coming. It's coming. I mean, the moment that we saw that they released the season, you know, we were already watching where are the road warriors going to fall? Yeah, exactly. So and let's, it, let's get into it, man. Let's so do it. I, I will say, like, I am a big road warriors fan. It It's a great episode. A lot of it I already knew because I've watched tons of documentaries on them. Everything, right. that's, everything that's out on them, I've You've watched. got videotapes, man. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I've got old VHS of, like, three hours of just their old matches. There wasn't a whole lot new stuff I didn't know about. There is some because I didn't realize how deep Hawk's problems were. Yeah. But if you watch Road Warriors episode on the WWE Network, it, that's this is like a more deep version of that episode, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, you're absolutely right. Because it's the WWE Network one is kind of like the watered-down version of what you're going to get here. Yeah. The Road Warriors, I'll say, for me, as a kid growing up in Chicago, the Road Warriors were and still are my favorite wrestlers. Whether they're a tag team or not, they're still my favorite. Even though they weren't from Chicago, they said they were from Chicago, so... I was even a bigger mark for him then. My first live experience with pro wrestling was at the UIC Pavilion in Chicago. My uncle took me. I was had floor seats. I, I, you know, we were close enough to the railing when they walked by. I remember touching the Road Warriors as they walked by, and it was like slapping a brick wall. Like these dudes were monsters. And so basically, in this episode, they they go into how Hawk and Animal met. They're teenagers in uh, Minneapolis. They met at a gym, which is crazy because Minneapolis is cr- like. A hub for pro wrestlers, apparently. Yeah. You got the you got the Road Warriors. You've got Scott Norton, the guy who played uh, Smash in Demolition. Oh, uh, Barry Dar- Darso, I think his name is. Uh. Uh, Nikita Koloff, Rick Rude, Kurt Henning. They're all from that same area. It's crazy. A lot of greats. Yeah, Hall so, of Famers. Yeah, definitely. You know, the episode goes on to talk about how they were just meatheads, dude. They were just bodybuilders. The Road Warriors at the time were bouncers, enforcer-type guys at a strip club. Dino Bravos. <laughs> it was called Grandma Bees, I think it was called? Grandma Bees. Yeah, something like that. And so Eddie Sharkey was the bartender there. And he's an old-school wrestler. 
And so he decided he wanted to open a wrestling school. And basically he took all these tough guys from the bar and turned them into wrestlers. So he had a connection with Ole Anderson. At, yes. the, at the time, Ole Anderson was booking for <clears throat> a federation out of Georgia. Ole sees Animal and takes him to Georgia, where Animal is the road warrior by himself. Because at the time, Hawk was wrestling in Vancouver. Yep. So, you know, Animal's gimmick is the road warrior, and he's dressed like like the biker guy from, like, the village people, right? Yeah. He's got, like, the <laughs> leather hat and jean stuff. Like, horrible, horrible look. So anyway, he's wrestling there. At some time, I guess, Oli goes back to the bar. Eddie Sharkey shows him a picture of Hawk. He's like, it's Animal. He's like, no, this is another guy. He's like, there's two of these guys? What yep. the, you know? They couldn't believe it. Yeah, he couldn't believe it. So he takes them both back to Georgia. And he decides, we're going to make the Road Warriors. He, he's the wrestling in Georgia Championship Wrestling. They still got the biker gimmick, but he takes them over there. And the crazy thing is, they give him the tag belts on their debut match. Right off the bat. I did not see that coming when they were telling the story on that. Yeah, like, they legit, they show up to do the match, and they're like, here's some belts. And they're like, what are these? Well, you're the tag champions. Well, where do we, we say we got them from? And they're like, well, you won them in a tag team tournament in Chicago. Yeah. And so, like, these guys were legit champs from the start. So they debuted, running through guys like nothing, right? Oli decides, hey, let's change up your gimmick. You're still the Road Warriors, but we're going to base it off the Mad Max movies. Like, the, the heel guy from the Mad Max movie, right? So they start, that's when they bring in the face paint. But their face paint in the beginning, it was simple. Like, it was like war paint. Like, some yeah. lines on the face. Some lines know, on the face. Like, nothing. Football lines. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it was nothing. And eventually, you know, it grew into what we saw today. And Animal is actually the one who came up with the shoulder pads and spikes. He knew some guy, told him to fabricate the spikes. He threw them on shoulder pads. He put on the chains. He did all that. That was his gimmick. Yep. And after that, we have the Road Warrior look that, you know timeless right everybody knows that look that just blew everybody's mind everybody went wild in all honesty in that time that was the look man because you had road warriors doing that you had sting you had ultimate warrior like but they came later when when the road warriors well, did it yeah that's true when the road warriors did it they blade did. runners didn't do any yeah. makeup at the time right no i mean but they were you're talking 83 84 when this is going on I think it was 83 when they went to Georgia. They de they debuted in 83. That's right, they were part of AWA. Yeah, so, like, they they looked like nobody else. So they started it. Oh, yeah, that, I mean, that was... They were the first ones to come out with the face paint like that. You know, no one else had the, the shoulder pads and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, they, they were innovators in that way, and that's that's part of the reason they got over so big. And, and because they were getting over so big, they went... They didn't just stay in Georgia. They wrestled AWA... NWA. They wrestled in Canada. They, wrestled they did Japan, too. They did Japan. They did Puerto Rico. They were constantly getting heat because they'd go to a territory, wrestle for a while, then they'd move on. And so by the time they got to another territory, everybody wanted to see them. And boom. So these guys were just making good money. You know what I mean? They were making great money for, for back in the day. Part of that is because that's when they got in with Paul Ellering. Yeah. You know, and Paul Ellering was their manager. Paul Ellering used to be a, a wrestler. And so he was their manager, and he knew how to orchestrate the matches to get them over best. Like, they, they talk in the thing where they would go out to dinner, and Ellering would literally, like, you're going to do this, and move this way, move that way, and do this move. Ellering was the brains behind, you know, all that. And he's the, he was the businessman. He, he set up their travel. He was like, hey, we're going to this territory, we're going to that territory. And so, yeah, without him, I'm sure they would have been big, 
he knew all the buttons to push, right? Yeah. Like you said, they went to Japan. Because they asked him, like, when did you know you were big? And Animal's like, when we went to Japan. They got off the plane. There was 150 reporters waiting for them on the plane. They knew who they were. They said that they had a bigger crowd waiting for him than Michael Jackson did. Yep. That's crazy. These are professional wrestlers. They went over there. They did their tour there. And they said over there is uh, when stuff started getting kind of bad with Hawk. Stardom started getting to him. Yeah. Well, and wrestling is big in Japan. And so the people wanted to surround themselves with them. After the match, Animal would go back and chill in the hotel, and Hawk would go out and party with Mafia. Yeah. They are like, yeah, like Hawk would go out and party with the J- Japanese Mafia, and who knows what he was doing because he would be the only one who would go. Yeah. They said that's where some of the issues really started. Real quick, just a side note. You know what's interesting and the one thing that I, I gathered while the episode was developing and I was watching is... The Road Warriors could not paint a better picture for any other wrestler coming in. They paved the way to show you the right way to do it. They they went in hot and they left hot. They didn't go in hot and then leave cold. Right. You know what I mean? So just how you were telling us, like, all these places that they jumped around to, they did it right. Yeah. Well, because they just stayed hot. Well, and the crazy thing is, is before the Road Warriors, the big names were single wrestlers. Yeah. There weren't tag big, teams were not hot. Tag teams weren't a thing. The Road Warriors were the first ones to make tag teams a thing. They were the first tag team to draw. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because back in the day, it was you would take this guy and this guy, put them together for a match for a tag, but they weren't an actual team. Yeah, it never lasted. No, but the Road Warriors <laughs> were the first team that were an actual draw as a tag team. Yeah. They, they put tag team wrestling on the map. On the map. Yeah. So so they go to Japan. And Hawk is partying. Right. He's Hawk, living it up. He, he's doing his thing. They come back in 86, and they do the scaffold match with the, the Midnight Express. And I never, I, I've never, i seen that match. I couldn't tell you how many times I've watched that match. I never knew Hawk wrestled with a broken leg. He broke his leg in Japan, like, a few days before they got there. He broke his tibia. I, I, I remember that part, and that blew me away. Yeah, like, I, I, I was like, what? I've yeah. watched that match so many times, you would never know. You would have never known that it was yeah. broken. But that leads down another avenue. Their schedules were so hectic, they didn't have time to heal. In comes the pain meds. Yep. He, he's already drinking, partying. Doing God knows what else. And now you add the pain meds. He's taking it to another level. Once you're on pain meds, you, you get hooked, right? Yeah. So things just got worse. And so that's when Animal says that. During the NWA WCW days, that's when all the drinking, the meds, and all that really started becoming an issue. Then, once they got the WWF, that's when shit just started spiraling. And, it, you know, it's, it's crazy because as a fan, I guess I never saw it. You know what I mean? You didn't realize it when you're watching the matches to the point to where they specifically talk about the match at Wembley Stadium. They talk about that, I guess, Hawk took some weird shit over there in England, like some hallucinogen. And so when Vince was going over the match... Of how they wanted it to go, he like kept saying shit. They were supposed to be like the co-main event against the Natural Disasters. And yeah, were, this was SummerSlam '92. And they're they're supposed to uh, fight for the tag belts. This is where they rode the bikes in, right? Yeah, that's where they rode the okay, bikes. Okay, now in. I'm with you. Yeah, but Hawk was so messed up that Vince nixed it, and instead of being a co-main event for the tag belts. They ended up fight, uh, fighting a, a million dollar man and IRS in an opening opening match, like a, a, a fucking jobber match. Yep. Bro, I've same thing. I've probably watched that match. I don't know how many times, and I never realized it. You but can. but they show it, and Hawk is literally out of it. Like Animal is moving him out of the way. Yeah. He doesn't know where he's at to the point where they had to change the finish. 
because they wanted, you know, they wanted to do the Doomsday, and they, were, they didn't trust Hawk to get up on the ropes. So they show the end of the match where Hawk is like literally stumbling around the middle of the ring. Animal pushes him out of the way, and I think he does like a, a gorilla slam or something on, yeah. on Million Dollar Man. Gets a quick pin, match over, over, match over, get these guys out of the ring. Crazy shit, bro. And like I said, I've seen this match, and I, you don't realize it until... Someone points it out. Yeah, until they point it out. It's crazy, because like I said, you're, you're watching it, and you, you just don't realize it until it's pointed out to you. Same thing, it's funny, it's a weird fact. I never realized it either. So all this time, they were the Road Warriors. When they go to WWF, they become Legion, Legion of Doom. Doom. And it was all because... Vince retired the name. Yeah, because Ultimate Warrior was already there, and uh, Kerry Von... Kerry Von Von Eric was there uh, using the warrior tag and so they didn't want another warrior yeah what was he the I I don't remember it was something stupid I didn't even like it I was like it was almost like the fucking dingo warrior when they came up with that shit for ultimate warrior the modern day warrior modern day warrior yeah I remember I was like what so they didn't want to add another group (laughs) of warriors so they did LOD yeah so the the road warriors became Legion Doom when they went to WWF not not a bad transition no it's still a great name right road warriors is I mean we'll always know road warriors but Legion of Doom bro yeah, it's That's, still a great name. You know? And one of the funny things they talked about, though, when they went to WWF, about how Vince... Apparently, they all went out to a strip club after... Oh, he wanted to take everybody's finisher. Yeah, <laughs> Vince takes everybody's finisher. That was finisher. a great story. And so the Road Warriors, in a strip club, put him up, and they do the Doomsday twice, too. <laughs> Ridiculous. That What a crazy story that is. Locker room talk, man. I love right? it. After that mess in Wembley, their, their next scheduled match, like the next couple days later or whatever, is in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Animal's there with Ellering. Hawk is nowhere to be found. Next thing you know, Animal's told Hawk quit. He's not showing up. What? Pulled an ultimate warrior. Just just legit, just decided he didn't want to show up. Just quit out of the blue. So Animal's tired of it, man. He, he was tired of being, you know, the, the, the mix, Mr. Fix-It. He was the dad in the in the whole thing. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, he's just fed up. What's crazy, though, is without asking Animal's permission, Hawk goes to Japan and creates another road warrior. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Hawk's wrestling in Japan with this dude called the Power Warrior. Yeah. With some Japanese I, dude. That whole part blew me away. I was just like, what the... I never knew that. I, did, I, had, I didn't know that either. And, and, but that's what we got to love about Darkseid. Right? I mean, even as a big fan, I never knew that. So yeah, I mean, here you go, Darkseid. Thank you. Shedding some light on me, right? And in the meantime, Animal's trying to do right. Keep the Road Warrior name... Or the Le- Legion, Legion of Doom. Doom. De- Le- Legion of Doom name legit. He's trying to hit all of his dates. You know, even if he's wrestling single... He's trying to do what he's got to do to keep the name in good standing in the WWF. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a mess, dude. I, I feel so bad. Isn't this where they fucking brought in Draws and they did Legion of Doom 2000 or some shit like that? Or was that later on? It's way, later on. Way down the road. It's not way down the road, but it's later down the road. Right now, Animal's just wrestling single. That's right. But uh, he ends up herniating a couple discs in his spine. And so he's actually out injured. So he's out injured while Hawk's fucking spiraling in Japan. To the point that he almost died multiple times because of drug OD. Johnny Tapia. <laughs> right? Yeah. So this dude, so animals laid up, hawks in Japan partying it up, almost dies multiple times. It, it's just crazy, you know, that, that things spiraled that bad. Things are a mess. Hawk actually ends up getting hepatitis C. Because of all the drug use and everything else, he ends up with hepatitis C. Sharing them needles. But what's so fucking crazy is, so the doctors put him on some meds. He cures himself. Yeah. Who the f*** does that? (laughs) He cures himself of hep C, so the doctors tell him, you're good to go. So what does he do? 
go back to the fucking party life. So the dude hits it even harder afterwards. He starts to think that he's invincible. Yeah. Eventually, that's when they go back to WWF, LOD 2000. They bring in draws. He's gonna puke. Yeah. Right? You know, so they bring in draws. And they do the whole Hawk is drunk storyline. Yeah. Dude, I remember watching that as a kid and I fucking hated that storyline it, it made me so sad that here's because at the time hawk looked out of shape they had him stumbling around the ring like he's drunk and then they do the whole thing where they have him go up to the top of the titan tron and draws is supposedly trying to get him down and instead he pushes him off the titan tron yeah that was that was such a bad storyline dude it was like to me it was just so disrespectful yeah that after all the years that and everything they had done, that this is the way they were treating LOD. To me, it was just, I don't know. I, I, I kind of gave up on wrestling a little bit back then, too. Because, I don't know, WWE just, just took such a turn yeah. on all their storylines. And it, it really turned me off. That goes back to me. I mean, your love for Road Warriors Legion of Doom was like my love for Ultimate Warrior. When Ultimate Warrior went to WCW and did that fucking 45 minute speech in the middle of the ring and then what was it fucking halloween havoc where him and hollywood went at it and then the fucking nwo jumped him and it, it went off screen i was in the same boat dude it the storylines i hated it the way that they and i mean granted it's ultimate just warrior, yeah you know I mean? ultimate warrior wasn't the shit that he pulled i'm not saying that warranted this type of treatment but when you're a fan and you love somebody you just hate to see it. Yeah, you hate to see it. Because yeah. you know... It's like when, you know, you see Michael Jordan, you know, like we all watch this, the, uh, what's it called? The Last Dance, The Last right? Dance. And so you see Jordan, you see Jordan. And I'm so glad they cut it off before he went and played for the Wizards. Yeah. Because it wasn't the same. Because it, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's the same thing with the Road Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimate Warrior, you, you, you have this image of them, and then when you see them at the end, it's just, it's it's such a disrespectful way. Yeah. Anyway, so they do the whole drunk storyline, blah, blah, blah. The Road Warrior, the Legion of Doom end up leaving WWE again, and they go to Japan. Or no, I'm sorry, they go to Australia. So they go to Australia to go do their thing over there. Hawk legit parties for two days straight without any sleep. Like, this dude just hit it hard, crazy. Weekend Warrior. Animal's talking about how he's in Gorilla before the match, getting ready, and that he sees somebody hit the floor. So he thinks it's somebody who just finished their match that's exhausted, that's passing out. It's his tag team partner. It's freaking hot. And he's having some kind of cardiac ar arrest or something. Right there, he almost dies in the arena before they're mad. And so they rush him to uh, to the hospital, and he's laid up in the hospital. He calls Animal, and he tells him, he goes, get me the hell out of this hotel, uh, out of this hospital. Out of this hospital. He goes, I'm not dying in this country. He's like, get me back to the United States. And so Animal goes, gets him out. Doctors, against doctor's orders, they jump on a plane, and they go to L.A. At, in L.A., they go their separate ways. Hawk goes to Tampa. Animal goes home. They kind of just leave it at that, right? Then, luckily, Hawk changes his his ways maybe the near-death experience at one time who knows but he finds religion yeah somebody got to him so yeah somebody got to him I, th I think he had a new wife or something right or girlfriend and so he becomes a religious guy he goes and gets baptized uh you know born he's again he's doing all the things to go in the right track yeah man like he's getting he's getting sober he's, he's getting right and so he's living in tampa so they're talking about how he, he's moving furniture for his girlfriend out of their apartment or their house or something he doesn't feel good he goes to take a nap he's gone and he's gone so october 19th 2003 46 years old he's gone heart just 
gave up. No drugs, no no OD, no, nothing. Heart gives out on him. Yeah. And he's done. There ends the Road Warriors. That Major was it. Did. You know, on that one, you know, like I said, you know, we we start out with Chris Benoit, you know, and we, we go through that whole ordeal. And then we, you know, we come to this one. And like I said, you know, it's it's uh, kind of like I was telling you, dude, you know, when I'm sitting there editing and I'm like, dude, we were, you know, we're, we're, we're going through this part and, and it's this roller coaster ride. Yeah. The dark side takes it takes you through and sitting back thinking about it now, just looking at it, the way they had the episodes set up, it's a roller coaster ride. You know no, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, these and, these guys do a great job on all of their episodes of they give you so much to digest that they really do put you on a roller coaster ride. Even on some of these episodes where you don't know anything about the people or the wrestlers because it's maybe before your time or maybe you just didn't get into that, you still they still do enough to make you care and by the end of the episode you're invested i can't praise these guys enough for for the job they did and and i i sincerely hope they come back with season three with even more episodes and because they they did a kick-ass job with this season yeah they did. which leads to the final episode which what what a perfect ending to a, a great season it kind of keeps us on that so now on, on this roller coaster ride of emotions that we're talking about in wrestling history it we're, we're staying somewhat balanced it's not i mean in a way it's still kind of going down you know yeah because, well yeah because it's not another crazy new jack episode or crazy uh herb abrams yeah. episode where it's about coke and strippers and hookers <laughs> partying and, and doing all partying and, 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 and killing people and stabbing people and you end on a emotional story where you just want to cry and reminisce and remember uh, an amazing talent yeah so here we are with owen hart episode 10 the final days of owen hart this one and real quick guys how we do things over here at the funkaholics podcast is we've got funkaholics dropping in jake stopped by as we were recording so jake we've got you over here man and uh perfect time to be here because i know this is one of the one of the ones that you wanted to be a part of so yeah man what better time to bring you in than uh owen hart man owen hart yeah glad to be back good to see you guys it's all this COVID stuff. That's it. Get some social interaction going on. There we go. <laughs> Talk some wrestling. Talk some wrestling, you know. Work our way through this one. So, yeah. This one was, you know, this one was a tough one because this one took me back to where I remember this wasn't a live e- it was a live event but it wasn't a pay-per-view no right? it was a pay-per-view it was a pay-per-view it was oh that's right I remember watching when I remember watching Raw JR yeah how can you put somebody through that when that just happened right. and for him to kind of keep control and still talk to the people and keep the show going right so it was the over the edge pay-per-view in Kansas City that's right so that's that's the pay-per-view Owen falls to his death and like you said he falls and JR he talks about how the people in the back were asking him for updates and it was like no one knew what to do and then JR once they finally got Owen out of the ring and they they realized Owen was had passed JR was the one who had to come on he's the one during the broadcast announce it. and announce hey folks Owen Hart's dead I just received news Owen's is gone yeah that's crazy bro yeah it is crazy and that's when JR is talking on Dark Side of the Ring, Jerry Lawler is, he said the look on Jerry's face. Right. Told him. He didn't even have to right. tell him, like, hey, he's gone. Like, yeah. JR knew it. Well, and then what's crazy is the guy falls to his death and, and the, the pay per view goes continues. on. It's a crime scene. Yeah. It's, it's a freaking crime scene. There's blood on the mat. There's a divot where he broke the boards where he hit so hard. Yeah. 
And yet, the pay-per-view the goes on. The circuit going, the show goes on. You know what? The other thing that, cre- that, that freaked me out, and I can't remember if it was the referee that they were talking to. One, the way he describes Owen went by him, but what Owen was yelling. Yeah, he was saying, like, watch out. Watch out. And yeah. he was looking out for the referee. Yeah, yeah, he was just letting anybody know he's coming down. Like, watch out. What a trip. Yeah. It, dude, this, this episode, it's, it's tough. It, it really is. They do a really good job of letting you get to know Owen Hart, the person. Yes. So, the family man, the husband. Right. So it's crazy because even I didn't realize. So Owen Hart, part of the Hart family, right? The dad is Stu Hart. So, you know, he, he's the man. He's got 12 kids. Of all of his 12 kids, they, they were either wrestlers themselves or the females married wrestlers. Yeah. You know, uh, some of his brother-in-laws were Davy Boy Smith, the bulldog right yep and jim the anvil that's crazy like here's a family that it's all wrestling it was all wrestling you know and obviously bret hart you know everyone knows bret hart his brother but what's crazy is they say out of all the brothers owen was the most athletic the greatest talent and he had like the most natural raw talent that from the start you could see he was gonna be a great wrestler Yeah, just the way they say that he flew off the ropes, the type of flips he would do yeah. in the ring. They're very acrobatic, you know. Yeah. Like but what's showstopper? What's the crazy though is he didn't want to be a lifer. I just, I think it was two days ago, happened to catch. I don't know if you heard it. Martha Hart did a podcast episode with Chris Jericho on his podcast. So uh, Owen's uh, widow went on. I have that one on my to listen list. So she's on the Chris Jericho podcast, bro. It is such a good episode because she talks about Owen and their relationship and a lot of what uh, Dark Side of the Ring doesn't cover. She talks about on. Uh, Jericho's podcast and so she talks about how he wanted to be a PE teacher bro he didn't want to be a wrestler in one of the episodes of Chris Jericho's podcast they gave like a little excerpt and that was one of them yeah so like he he started wrestling as a teenager for his dad's Stu Hart's promotion because he was trying you know make some extra money on the summer or whatever right and the dad realized he needed a heart in the promotion you know to, to keep it going yeah, to, keep, going. to, keep, that yeah, to going. keep that legacy going and so that's why he did it and what's crazy I, I didn't realize this is in in the podcast she talks about how they they traveled the world bro he wrestled in mexico he wrestled in germany he wrestled in japan like before he made it big in wwe he was wrestling all over the place she was talking about how in germany they would set up in a town for like weeks and they lived out of a like a like a van yeah. and they would actually have to go and shower and stuff arenas and all that like she as a female would have to go uh shower and so she would wait where all the guys would leave and then she would jump in there and shower because she would have to shower in the same locker room as the men. Yeah. But yeah, she would say like it wasn't glamorous. It was he was just doing it to you know make ends meet, hoping to save up enough money so when they had a family, they would have that nest egg. Yeah. And so when he when he was done, he would be done and be able to have his life as a PE teacher. It, it's it's pretty crazy how as much as we think of the hearts as wrestlers. And we think of Owen as such a great talent. That wasn't that wasn't his thing. Yeah. You know? the, now, the sad thing about this, I mean, not only the death. I mean, that's, you know, but this is another, this is another superstar. They didn't know what the fuck to do with him. Right. Exactly. Like, here we are again where WWF or Vince can't find a gimmick for this guy. His talents go totally underutilized. Then it was death. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. Using like a zipline gimmick to... That definitely wasn't safe, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and so when he came into the WWF, he was a blue blazer. Yeah. Um, they did that gimmick, and they realized it wasn't working. It, it wasn't working. It wasn't getting over. So in 1993 is when they brought him back as 
like the jealous little brother to Brett. And that's what that's kind of what I think where we all remember Owen. My biggest memories and my greatest memories and I it was in somewhat of the attitude era was him teaming with Jeff Jarrett. I am not a nugget. I loved it. <laughs> you know, you can only carry that for so far. Right. And then again, you know, it just it correlates back to WWF just not knowing what the fuck to do with such a great talent. And then, like we said, in the other episodes that we were talking about, this guy disappears, but disappears in the wrong way. Right. The worst kind of way. The worst kind of way. And what's crazy is, had he not died, bro, the names who joined WWF right after he passed, he would have had awesome matches with. You're talking about uh, Malenko, Jericho. I'm trying to think who else. Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero. Ben, yeah, all those guys. That uh, Kurt Angle. Yeah. Dude, oh my God, Kurt, Kurt Angle and Owens. Dude, they would have put on spectacular matches, but he was gone. I mean, he missed it. He, he would have blown up. Yeah. Because, like, like I said, he comes in at '93. He plays a little uh, the 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 role of the little brother, and then the first time he really gets over is in '94, WrestleMania 10. So he he wrestles Brett and he beats Brett, which everyone's like Brett didn't have to do that because that's Brett was he, he was, was he was a, he was a yeah, showcase. Exactly. He was he was a top guy. He was the guy. icon at the yeah, time. He yeah, he guy. was a top guy. Brett the Hitman Hart, yeah. So he he let his little brother beat him to help get him over, right? And so that's that's when Owen starts getting a name. Then a little bit after that is when the whole Montreal screw job happens. Brett leaves for the WCW. You see when Owen comes out to try to talk you know brett down like bro you know just, it's okay blah 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 and in the um the in the jericho podcast the wife talks about how owen was conflicted because yep. you know he sees his brother got screwed yep. he leaves a wcw that was owen's like his thought was he was gonna leave wrestling he's like you know what i've made my money i'm let's go i'm let's do our family thing right and the wwf didn't want him to leave so they they he actually signed a new contract for even more money to stay and the money's the only reason he stuck around because yeah. he's like wow look at this it's huge chunk yeah right? i mean he was the security was, of his family. He was young, right? So, I mean, he's like, hey, I can do this for a little bit longer. Yeah, set up his family. Because it's know? just like, even like when the that part where they, you know, Martha talks about it, like, you know, it was so much more than wrestling. Like, his life, like, his yeah. existence, what he wanted out of life, what he was trying to accomplish. Like, there was just a whole different side to him that nobody got to see because all they saw was the wrestler. But, the Hart family, you know, right? The Hart family. He signs a new contract, you know, Brett's gone. And so, like you said, let's find a gimmick. So they tried a bunch of stuff. Nothing was taking. They didn't know how to use them. So they, they tried doing a, a storyline with a Deborah. Do you remember that? Yep. And Owen didn't like that. He goes, people know I'm married. Yeah. I don't want it to look like I'm going after another married woman. Like, what does that say about me and my character? Right. And so he, he like, he nixed that storyline because he, he didn't believe that wasn't the right way for him to be portrayed. Yeah. And because it was disrespectful to his wife and to his marriage. And so they brought back the blue blazer gimmick. But they did it in a different way to where it was like a parody of it. Yeah. To where he was almost making fun of himself. You know, they kind of... And, and so the, uh, she talks about how at the time WCW had Sting coming down from the rafters. They had blue blazer as like this goofy character. And to make fun of Sting doing it. That's why they decided, let's make the Blue Blazer do the same thing as almost as like a rib against Sting in the WCW. And leading into that and and getting into the details of that, um, we don't want to give you guys too much of it because I would love for you guys to see this episode yourselves. It kind of, I know for me, it left a bad taste in my mouth when Owen's wife starts telling the story leading up to the death and the whole Owen was so, you got two different sides of Owen. You got Owen... The family man, the one that wants the one that wants to be the PE teacher, 
But then you got Owen that's that guy that believes in the company, believes in the right. staff, is whatever they told him to do, he was going to do it. And that's was, what that's what killed him. He was a good worker, bro. Well, I think it's like if you, some of that stuff there, like he wanted to please his dad, right? Like the image, like making his dad proud. And like I think that had a lot to do maybe in his formulating like, hey, if I do this, it's going to bring honor to the heart name and it's going to do my dad's proud. But, you know, the, you know, even though in 89, the Stampede, wrestling folded or whatever and no longer was around so i mean maybe that had a lot to do with it. it was seemed like he was pulled in a lot of ways wanting to do right by his name and his father right. and then wanted to get out and be the family man that that who he really was so right it's, it's kind of hard to be pulled in two directions i mean he, he seemed like such a genuine guy yeah you know like he he was like like you said jake he's trying to do right by himself his family his immediate family. Family in the company. You know what I mean? Playing both things. I mean, it's crazy. Um, like I said, in the Jericho podcast, the wife talks about... And I, and this is crazy. I never heard this. When he would go and do shows, he got to know the fans so well, he would stay at fans' house. He wouldn't stay in a hotel. Really? Yeah. So he would, he would show up at the airport, and fans would pick him up from the airport... And he would stay at their houses. Wow. That's a Canadian thing. It sounds real Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like, that crazy. Canadian, real fans. That's not, crazy, though. That when she was crazy. telling that story, I was like, there's no freaking way. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. And she said she loved that he loved the fans. And he loved, he just liked being one of the guys. Yeah. And it's funny because Jericho talks about how after his passing, that they would go to these uh, cities and that fans would be hitting him up like like hey do you need me to want to stay at my house do you yeah. want and then, <laughs> got a room set up for yeah. you <laughs> yeah and like Jericho was like no you know like it was an Owen thing and because I guess Owen was known to be a big practical joker then they said here's Owen doing the one last joke on us they've got all these fans trying to get us to stay at their house yeah. like he's pulling one last joke on us from even you know from up above from up above <laughs> but yeah dude like and I know we're talking about Dark Side of the Ring but if you guys get a chance check out Jericho's podcast with his wife definitely it's really a good really great listen there's a lot of great ones on there and even because we were talking about you know the the story of Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero yeah. right well Chris Jericho does an amazing episode with Mysterio, Chavo, all the greats, Conan, and all of them talk Eddie, and there's some fabulous stories in there. So guys, check that out also. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, that sounds great, because uh, that one, that episode was particularly hard to, to watch, you know, it was, it was a lot of raw emotion in these things. Definitely. Kind of just going back, and I want to kind of throw in a couple of things, just, you know, I there's so much, this episode was absolutely great. Oh, yeah. There was so much more that we can talk about, and it'll carry on, you know, into the into the hours. A couple of things that I wanted to throw out there, just to grab your guys' attention, and like I said, to watch it for yourselves, is one: pay attention to the way the story develops, and they they give you you can almost you feel like you're right there with with Owen as this day happens. So from the moment that he arrives to the arena to the moment that the people talk to him, they're using. I don't want to spoil it for you, but like I said, you guys got to watch it. The other part that blew me away, the aftermath. The loss Owen's of gone. Yeah. Wife is upset. She wants answers. She goes after the WWF. And, and she... The Hart family. Yeah, it's crazy. Doesn't she, want her doing that. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, she just wants answers. To the point where her and her kids go up on the scaffold... To see... To see where he died. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Like, she wants to see what he saw before he died. And she takes her young children up there, too. Yeah. I mean, this lady becomes obsessed with getting justice. 
what's crazy is she never gets it. She never gets it because... She gets a settlement she, and she even said, this isn't what I was after. Yeah, she gets an $18 million, $18 million. settlement. But that's not what she was after. She, I mean, it, it, it's crazy because at one point, the WWE sues her because so the whole thing is she's suing them in in um kansas city right and vince wants it moved to connecticut because in connecticut she wouldn't get the punitive damages and so they're trying to sue her there to like pull these legal maneuvers luckily it doesn't work but like you say to this day she still has issues with the hart family yeah because the hearts didn't want her going after wwe so there were some people who either just didn't acknowledge it and there's some people who literally worked against her who took her information and gave it to the WWE to, to like, undermine her. Yeah, yeah it, it's crazy how this lady's just trying to get justice. She still hasn't. Yeah. Granted, yeah, she got the payout and all this stuff. That's not what she wanted. And for that same reason, Owen's not in the Hall of Fame. And he never and will never be. will be, no. I because, mean, yeah. you, we say that, but you you never know. But, like... Well, I know. I mean, she, I, she probably... I mean, and, and unless, unless she dies... As long as she's alive. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Because she doesn't want the WWE to monetize his name in any way. That's true. She won't allow it. <clears throat> and like we we talked about in the last episode, Darks she gave permission to Dark Side of the Ring to make Owen Hart merch. Yeah. So if you go on Pro Wrestling Tees, there's uh two different designs that came out with Dark Side of the Ring Owen Hart shirts. Those are the first Owen Hart merchandise to exist since his death almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. Because and but uh, that's because she gave the permission and that money is going to the Owen Hart Foundation. Yeah, and then the fact that of how well the the story was handled right it didn't so much focus i mean yeah there was the part about the wrestling but again it was like they did justice to his actual life you know that was a well-rounded story it, it went into him as a person not not his not just not him his the wrestler yeah just not about not him as a wrestler you know how and you know a lot of people probably didn't know all that stuff yeah and for i mean that's right she didn't get the justice from the, the money settlement but for all the wrestling fans to hear his story and his legacy and, and his life, you can't put a dollar amount on that. So, you know, that's something that's going to stay in people's hearts. So that's why we're here talking about it right now. So. Definitely. Just real quick, guys, as we ra- as we wrap up this episode, like I said, you, you have to watch it. One of the things that I wanted to get across as I was gathering onto this is, did you ever get the feeling of a lot of these episodes were tailored to how big Vince McMahon truly is? Yeah, dude. You you, you mean like by like by like we had going, multiple... like going against him, like you know, getting the story Whoa, out without no. his interference. No. The or... power, like the good oh, and the McMahon. bad. Yeah, the right? good and the bad. So you see where there's episodes where the people who want to challenge him get squashed, but then you see how he uses his power to make things go away. Things disappear, bro. Like <laughs> Snooka, he was a free man for all those years. Because Vince made it go away. Doctor Doctor D. David Schultz. When all that shit went down, he just he made Doctor D. disappear to Japan for a while. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like the Godfather. Telling you, man. Michael Corleone to, like, to Italy. He said, yeah. disappear for a little while." <laughs> like you, if you're his boy, you're in. But you don't want to be on his wrong side. Yeah, you know. And I've heard by listening to Jericho's podcast other podcasts where other wrestlers go on there and they talk about they had long hair and Vince looked at him and said I don't like it cut your hair and Vince will literally cut their hair five minutes before they're supposed to go on on, on stage or out, you know yeah. into the arena or where some dude grew out a, a, a beard and they and Vince saw it and was like hey let that dude know I like his beard keep it like that's like that's just the so way he works do you yeah? feel like like he still has that kind of power to oh no I'm talking like I'm, this goes on like today because I like mean, I've heard t- podcasts yeah. of guys talking about like who just got released. 
talking about how they got released because Vince couldn't find a gimmick for him. Mm-hmm. Listen to the Jim Cornette podcast, and they and he talks to FTR to the revival. Yeah, and they talk about why they left the WWE. It's because Vince couldn't find a way to use them. Yeah, but I mean, and that's I mean I get it, but like at least they have an avenue where they can't be silenced, right? Like you see, right? You see things like AEW where they're not afraid to challenge, right? And then you got New, New Japan. I mean, when they when they had the the same. Uh, event in, in what was it Madison Square Garden when they, during was it WrestleMania they had their event in the same city same day and they don't give a fuck and they're drawing crowds like I I can't stand WWE like I don't even watch it anymore yeah I, mean, I can't I, I really, really can't don't. the storylines are trash <laughs> I watch trash. NXT honestly and I love NXT but you know whose thumb is on that that's all Triple H yeah yeah I mean he's the new he's gonna be the new McMahon you know he's the new the new he's the new Vince yeah that's why he went after the daughter yeah, he's smart <laughs> I mean hey that, he he, he played that right but like. I really like, I mean, we're getting off, kind of off topic, but, you know, I really like the way, you know, Cody Rhodes is doing things over yeah. there in AEW and challenging WWE by, like, buying the rights to these WWE events that have, that have lapsed because it was his dad, you know, the American Dream that actually did a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It wasn't, Vince McMahon is, is, but he didn't do any of this. He just sort of... Well, he know, was the final final word. Final word. Nothing but, got but, done without but all his these guys, it, it was ideas, you know, he stood on the shoulders of giants, literally, to become who he is, right? I mean... Kind of what it is. Yeah. Well, there you go. We we got another episode. (laughs) We're going to talk WWE and AEW with Jake one of these days. We're going to go back to the Monday Night Wars. Exactly. Right now, the Wednesday Night Wars. The Wednesday Night Wars. (laughs) So stay tuned. Here it comes. I'm I'm definitely down for that. Stay tuned, guys. I mean, we literally went into a two hour episode to break down the the bottom half of season two and guys just we, we just to tell you talking to <laughs> yeah and we can keep going you guys have to watch it for yourselves check it out watch the episodes pay attention to it because you're gonna miss some things you're gonna catch some things you're gonna learn new things yeah that's what's so great about it so it's, check out the vice channel all our episodes are on demand both season one and season two you can catch them on YouTube. YouTube yeah, yeah, catch them on YouTube. Yeah, guys, great show. Support it. That way, for sure, we get a season three, right? Absolutely. Uh, one of the ma- one of the most amazing things, and like like we said, we talked about season one and season two. They just raised the bar. We're praying to the wrestling gods that we get a season three. Make it happen, guys. Vice. Just open that wallet. Let these guys do their thing. Yep. They're doing great things. Keep it going. Just like that, guys. We are out of time we've got to go in the great words of kane i'm gonna leave you with this thought he said there is no drama like wrestling how right he was